Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. We have finally picked our jaw off the ground after looking at Jalen Phillips' thighs for far too long. Welcome into another Dolphins podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We are going to go through some of the rising stars of Miami Dolphins in training camp. It's a thrilling time. OTAs are underway. We're getting quotes each and every day. And I got Merrick Brave here. I got Joshua Houts here. Guys, it's May 24th, so football's back, right? This Football season's here, right? Like it never left. <laughs> no, it's just social media season, right? We get a fallen over these pictures that they have in mini camp. I mean, you mentioned it, man. That picture of Jalen Phillips, he looks like a Greek god or some type of sculpture. Machamp. <laughs> We're in such a unique place because uh, there's a lot of new faces in Miami. It seems like there might be a little rumor that everyone on defense is wearing a visor now. Josh, have you? You're the picture guy here. Have you seen something along those lines? Visor no, gate. No, it, it does seem that way, right? I mean, I think they keep showing no Igbenogany in his visor because they're trying to get trade value or something out of him. I see these pictures on their site. There's like two or three of just a close up of Igbenogany wearing that like orange old school Ricky Williams looking visor. But um, there's got to be at least a few players that aren't wearing a visor, right? Probably Channing Tindall. Christian Wilkins would be another one. Merrick, I want to ask you, uh, is there anything over these last couple days? Josh mentioned it. It's social media time. What made you stop your scrolling and really just kind of take in a tweet? It's orange jersey season once again. The orange jersey award is back. I I took it upon myself last offseason, the first uh, offseason with the orange jersey award for our Dolphins. I took it upon myself to track it every single day and write an article about it for the Finsider because it is the content that our readers deserve. It's what they want. It's what they're going to get. I don't even care if they want it. I'm going to force feed them the orange Jersey content. Cause there ain't a whole heck of a lot else going on. So uh, check it out. The Finsider.com. Every time the dolphins practice, I will tell you who won the orange Jersey award a mere two to three hours after Twitter has told you a hundred times who won it. Even if it is Liam Eikenberg, right? <laughs> Who has gotten it, it so far as, as two, we're recording this on Wednesday? 
two Jersey Award winners so far. Jalen Waddle was OTA number one. He he won that uh, for the first day, which I don't know how like what they based the first day on. It's usually based on who had the best practice the day before, but there was no practice, so I don't know if they're basing it on Chicken the playoff loss to Buffalo or just who had just a, a lovely off season. He's put on some weight, Jalen Waddle, trying to bulk up a little bit. Hopefully, that doesn't affect his speed at all. But we'll find out when uh, when meaningful football begins here in, oh, you know, like four months. But uh, day two winner, Duke Riley, reserve linebacker and special teams player. Duke Riley, Duke Riley with the flowing locks coming out of the coming out of the helmet. He's just the orange jersey looks great on him. He's just a he's just a beautiful peacock with all of those colors Stunned. rocking there. Yeah, Jalen Waddle threatened to truck somebody over. Did you guys hear that? He's like, uh, they asked him how much weight he put on, and he's like, you just wait till I truck someone over, then you'll see. So, dude, if, that, if he had that what's speed more, and then that truck ability, I mean, Jesus Louise. What's more scary, uh, Jalen Waddle saying he's going to truck you over or just him wearing earrings that are just penguins? Those are sweet, though. Yeah, <laughs> I, I zoomed in on one picture like a couple of weeks ago where i saw that and i was gonna tweet it out and i'm like everyone knows this then yesterday he was like asked a comment about him and he's like dude i've always had these so <laughs> i had an earring in the 1990s because everyone did um but it was only like back in the 90s when you were a dude with an earring you could only wear like the the hoop earring because michael jordan made it famous the gold hoop ah, earring yeah. We didn't get all the cool like diamond encrusted ones, so I never got to wear like a super cool earring before I before I took it out in the year 1999. And you missed the train on the nose ring completely, which I assume you're pretty yeah, uh, no, disappointed about. No nose ring in my high school days. I did have a lip ring, but it got infected like two days after I got it, and my lip swelled up like uh, like uh, Willy Wonka in the Charlotte Chocolate Factory there. That's that's like that's a story made for that's like a perfect you're 16 and need to learn about like just life no. in general. It's like here's an infected lip for you. Uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say I ended up using bolt cutters to get it out because my skin had like grown over the clasp, so I couldn't actually God. get it out. So I had to cut it out of my own face with bolt cutters. That's where the wrestling career began. We we just found, we just found the ground floor. He's hardcore. There. He's hardcore. <laughs> Guys, today I thought it'd be a pretty interesting idea, exercise, to look at some of the players who um, might be moving around the depth chart a little bit. I'm sure both of you guys, you know, you played Guitar Hero growing up, right? That's, that's oh, no... Oh, yeah. And oh, Rock yeah. Band. Wasn't there a Rock Band game? I remember those drums and oh, yeah. I had the whole thing, yeah. <laughs> and Me you know too. when you're playing well, the crowd starts to get into it, they're getting jazzed up, and when, you know, you're not playing well, it starts to boo you a little bit. So what we're looking at today are who, who's the crowd getting jazzed up about? Who is playing that Say It Ain't So by Weezer on expert difficulty, despite it being an easy song, despite this being OTAs? 100% on Say It Ain't So still is 100%. So, Merrick, let's start with you. Who's a player who's kind of nailing those notes? They got the pinky working to hit that orange final button that just seems Bro, to be a challenge. You are speaking my language. I loved <laughs> Guitar Hero. I loved Rock Band. I am such a nerd that I used to, with my friends, enter rock band competitions here locally. Uh, I, m me and my bandmates, we actually made the front page of the local newspaper for winning a rock band competition. Oh picks or didn't happen. I want to see in, these picks. In like 2009, maybe. Uh, I was the drummer in the band. Uh, I don't even remember what we're talking about. Dolphins football? No way. Let's do a <laughs> half hour on rock band content. I love it. 
Uh, okay, all right. Back to those foot back. pedals broke so easily. They um, did. I had one just like duct tape just forty thousand times. I almost lost a friendship because of a broken a broken uh, uh, bass pedal. There, it was my buddy's bass pedal, and I was just man, I was rocking out. I was going hard on it, and I guess I stomped too hard, and I smashed it right in half, and he got really mad at me, and he said, he said, you know, some friend you are, and I was like, what oh are you wow. Talking? It was great. We're still friends today. I'll make him listen to this episode. He'll get a kick out of the story. But okay, I suppose we should talk Dolphins football, you know, seven minutes into this thing. That's what the people come here for. A guy I'd like to highlight is uh, is a guy named Trill Williams, a guy who has only seen in-game action one time as a member of the Miami Dolphins. And it wasn't last year because he had, uh, I believe it was a, an ACL tear that kept him out of the entire season after having a very strong training camp by all accounts but it was in 2021 he suited up for one game for the miami dolphins didn't record a tackle had no stats in that game so there's not a lot to base this off of other than the fact that he seemed to be killing it during training camp last year and this year there is a rumored move to safety for Trill Williams from the cornerback room to the safety room. And actually Mike McDaniel kind of confirmed that in uh, a little presser he did yesterday, where he said that Trill Williams is cross training to be a safety in the new Vic Fangio defense. And speaking of safeties and Vic Fangio, Vic Fangio loves him some safeties. So if Trill Williams can show some promise in that area, that could be uh, a position, the safety position where Trill Williams shines. And there's not a lot of competition for snaps in that room. I mean, obviously you have Javon Holland. He is the guy there. But then you got Brandon Jones coming back from an Achilles injury. They just signed uh, Deshaun Elliott. He's kind of a journeyman, been been around a little bit in this league. Who knows what he has left in the tank. And then you have an undrafted free agent, Verone McKinley, uh, also in that spot. So a move to safety could make sense for Trey Williams. And if he's able to shine there, you could see him jumping up that depth chart pretty quick. What do you guys think about that? That's an interesting one, and I always wonder when you're bringing in a new defensive coordinator like a Vic Fangio, uh, what, how does the vision change on this defense? You know, it you you're reaching a point in the NFL where it's not necessarily about positions as it is about having the best eleven guys in the field, and it's up to the defensive coordinator to figure out the best way to use them. So, Merrick, I want to ask you. Uh, you know, Verone McKinley the third had to come in and play a lot of snaps last year, especially after Brandon Jones went down. He has that experience with Javon Holland. That to me sounds like the battle to kick things off. So, so where do you see that going? Who do you think is that front runner between uh, VM3 and Trey Williams as of right now? So if you're just going between those two, because I do think Deshaun Elliott might have a leg up on both of them just because of his experience level in the league. But if I'm going between Trill and I'm going through Verone, Verone's got, he's got, you know, experience as a safety where Trill maybe doesn't have as much experience uh, in that position group. But I really like Trey Williams' size. He's 6'1", over 200 pounds. You know, he's big body for a corner. If he can translate that to the safety position and maybe come down and play that box safety um, in the Fangio defense, then I think he could be a, a big hitter, a good thumper. Uh, and, and I like Trail in that spot. I think Verone did a, a decent job when he was pressed into action last year. And like you said, he has that experience kind of being that tag team partner of Javon Holland. Both of them played at Oregon in college together, but I don't know. I really, I, I, everyone, we all can remember back to last off season, how much buzz trail Williams was getting mm-hmm. in training camp. It, it felt like every single day, a beat writer for the dolphins was talking about how well trail was practicing. And I think after 
you know, getting that small taste of success in the offseason, but then having his season ripped away from him, he's going to come back and he's going to be hungry. He's going to be hungry and, and wanting to show his teammates, his coaches, and the rest of the league, frankly, that he can play in the NFL and that when he gets an opportunity to take the field, that that he can shine when he does so. So I I do like the fact that Trill is transition transi- transitioning, excuse me, uh, to safety. You know, that cornerback room is deep. They added Jalen Ramsey. They drafted Cam Smith in the second round, their first overall selection. So maybe, you know, that's a room where he was kind of being squeezed out a little bit. And if you can move him over to the safety group, which is a little bit lighter on, you know, in bodies, then he has an opportunity at more playing time. And that has to be a good thing for him. And if he plays well, that's a great thing for Vic Fangio, Mike McDaniel, and the rest of the Miami Dolphins. Kind of sounds like a completely different defense, but I mean, Eric Rowe was the tight end stopper for years, right? He was just the guy you go and um, you're not always going to beat the tight end. They're huge and very physical, but just to kind of be a pest and be in front of them and challenge them each and every play, to me, that sounds exactly what Trill Williams can accomplish at that position, especially if he's in that in-the-box guy. Josh, you hear Trill Williams being, uh, you know, switching over to safety or um, cross-training even. What were your thoughts or what do you think the Dolphins are trying to accomplish there? Yeah, I think it's just finding a way to have him fit on this defense, right? I mean, like you both, I'm sure, have said, I had to get carried away because the little baby woke up. But um, that cornerback room is loaded. They need safeties in this defense, so why not let him go there and compete? We know he's physical, like you both mentioned. I posted a video from, you know, I think it was a practice with the Bears or something where he just knocked the receiver on his ass. And then he actually crawled in my DMs. I don't know if I should say this because he told me it was for my eyes only, but he sent me a clip from – uh, training camp last year where he was going one-on-one with one of the Dolphins receivers and he absolutely obliterated him and he's like see this is just normal so uh, yeah he's <laughs> physical as hell that was a pretty cool thing that for Trill Williams to crawl in my DMs but um, yeah I think it'd be for that one. yeah I might get in trouble <laughs> he told me not to post the clip so I think that's all that matters and I'm not sure okay. who the receiver was technically you didn't post body. the clip <laughs> yeah um, so yeah he's physical as hell so I'm intrigued to see what he can do on defense and what Vic Fangio's scheming up there because uh as we're probably going to talk about it, he likes to move some of these guys around and try them in new positions, and um, we're all here for it, right? And that's – what a segue, man. Let's just talk about him. AVG, Andrew Van Ginkle. This is kind of the first uh, little real surprise, the real uh, peek into the vision that Vic Vangio is trying to accomplish here. Uh Rumors came out, I think it was Cam Wolf at ESPN who said it first, and then Mike McDaniel confirmed it, that Andrew Van Ginkle is moving inside. He's going to start training as an inside linebacker, uh, primarily because Jerome Baker, David Long Jr. are your two starters. We have the orange jersey man himself, a peacock dude, as uh, Merrick called him, in Duke Riley. Uh, but they do need that fourth linebacker. So, guys, uh, open-ended question here. Andrew Van Genkel moving inside. Does that say more about ABG and just trying to get another talented player on the field? Or is it panic button time? Maybe Channing Tindall might be that odd man out where it's, you know, he wasn't drafted by the staff. Now it's a new scheme, yada, yada, yada. And it's an uphill battle for him. I think I could see a little bit of both there. I think, I think Channing Tindall, while a lot of us were excited uh, based on his college tape and his college production, um, I don't think he showed a lot as a rookie. And, you know, that happens. It was more of a redshirt year for him than anything else. Uh, but I would, I, I guess I would have liked to have seen him maybe in some blitz packages a little bit more. And I'd still like to see that. And who knows? Maybe he will uh, find his way onto the field in those blitz packages. Uh, but I think, I think if you look at it, Jerome Baker, what he does well are is 
are those blitzes, right? He likes playing close to the line of scrimmage and getting in there, shooting the gaps, and and, and you know getting to the quarterback. That's also what Andrew Van Ginkle does very well. He's a really good pass rusher uh, and is able to get to the quarterback and and kind of cause havoc, create chaos when he does that. You know, gets the force fumbles, fumble recoveries, things like that. So I think maybe you could see Andrew Van Ginkle kind of playing that Jerome Baker role if something, knock on wood, were to happen to Jerome Baker, or even if Jerome Baker just needed to take a few snaps off and need to take a breather. What do you think about that, Josh? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, and I was going to come on here and talk about Channing Tindall, so I'm kind of glad we uh, you know, waited a week to talk about this because I would have <laughs> looked like a complete fool. But, um, you know, I go back to what Mike McDaniel said. I think it was in January. You know, he mentioned how he expected a big jump from Channing Tindall. So I, I'm still hopeful that maybe he can find a way to, you know, stick on the roster and become that player that we saw in college. But uh, like I said to both you in the DMs, I mean, you had to look at that Georgia defense with all that talent and think, you know, maybe he was just a product of that. As for Andrew Van Ginkle, I mean, this was a guy who was meeting with the Los Vegas Raiders, meeting with the New England Patriots. And from uh, I think the reports were that Vic Fangio basically called him up and said, you know, I want you back here in Miami. So the fact that he, you know, wanted AVG on this roster, wanted to see how he could transition to inside linebacker. I mean, I do think that's still one of the weakest positions on the roster, despite David Long Jr., despite, you know, maybe Aubrey Miller hopefully sticking. I know we talked about him a little bit, but um, I think I like this move here, and I think it is a way to get Andrew Van Ginkle on the field with, you know, how dynamic those pass rushes are. I mean, who's he going to take reps from on the edge? You know, that, that, that unit's pretty damn good. He can find position there at inside linebacker. Maybe you move Jerome Baker around, like you said, a little bit. So um, I'm all here for Andrew Van Ginkle. I know he's a fan favorite. We all love what he brings to this team. Plays like his hair's on fire. I'm here for it. So um, I like this move. Intrigued to see what Vic Fangio's scheming up the same way we are about Trey Williams potentially moving to safety. Do you, do you think, Josh, that it was more along the lines of Vic Fangio called, wanted him back, and then they decided that maybe he could work at middle linebacker? Or do you think it was uh, Fangio saw this the entire time and that was the pitch to get him to come back? Which one do you think it was? If you had yeah, guess? I mean, that could be – that. Uh, yeah, I really – it could be – your guess is as good as mine, but I think, you know – probably when he wanted him back. I mean, you, the unit was still loaded at the time, right? I mean, he still had the mm-hmm. same defense for the most part. I don't think they made too many – well, they didn't make any moves except, what, bringing Malik Reed in who can also play on the outside a little bit. But I think maybe uh, this was Vic Fangio's uh, idea all along, and he probably, you know, pitched that to Andrew Van Ginkle. Ginkle probably did not want to leave home. I think he – did he just have a second child? I can't remember, but he's been a lifer for the Dolphins. Fifth-round pick in 2019. I do think Vic Fangio was scheming this up all along. What about you, Merrick? What do you think? Yeah, I like AVG. He's cool. He's got the long hair. Same same as Duke Riley. I think Vic Fangio took a look at him and said, man, that guy looks like he can rock. And said, come on back, AVG. Let's kick some ass. Join our maybe, rock band. Yeah, play maybe he's great at rock band, too. <laughs> Vic Fangio's old. He probably does play rock band. Isn't that an older game? I think it's from like 2000 or something. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, dude, yeah, no you make way. me feel old now. We're, that's that, that definitely came out when I was going into high school. We're talking like 2009-ish, something like that. But yeah, that Guitar era. Hero was Feels like, like 2004, 2005. Okay. Fair. And, and people forget, um, and I don't think this got enough uh, coverage, and I don't think Andrew Van Ginkle got enough coverage on this as well. He had appendicitis in late August last year. Yeah. And, hey, if you're playing professional football, the key is you're a professional athlete. You're a world-class athlete. I don't think you can necessarily be that when you're battling appendicitis. So to me, that is another thing to keep in mind. When you go back and you look at Andrew Van Ginkle's stats last year, I think, what, half a sack? 
He did have an interception, 24 tackles. That wasn't the AVG we saw that was ascending year after year. Um, One other note I want to throw at you guys, and it's probably a big nothing burger, but in Andrew Van Genkel's four years, he has played 83 snaps inside the box as a linebacker. That's how much he's done in terms of an edge rusher, in terms of being just an outside linebacker, in terms of just blocking punts. But there was one game. It was against the Baltimore Ravens. It was, I think, a, it was a primetime. I think it was a Sunday night game. Uh, it was very ugly. I think Tua, it was the game Tua came back in, um, even though they all, everyone said he was hurt and he came in and just threw a bomb. I think uh, Albert Wilson had a big play. But either way, Andrew Van Ginkle played 83 snaps inside. I think most of those came that game. I think it was like 60. He had two missed tackles. His grades weren't great. He did have a couple stops in terms of just uh, run defense. Uh, but do you guys are you guys concerned about that lack of experience at all, or, or do you think that this is just a natural transition where hey, he was going up against Lamar Jackson, he had to kind of keep him in check, keep him inside the pocket, and if it was that easy to do, he wouldn't be a you know an MVP top paid quarterback. Yeah, it does worry me a little bit, and and I hate taking somebody who is good in one spot. You know, he rushes the passer so kind of well. Was. And I hate taking yeah, you might be right there. <laughs> taking it from one spot, trying to move him to a different spot. But I, I to Josh's point, I think it's just a way to get him on the field. I think they're loaded on that edge group. They bring in Malik Reed, um, who has had success in Vic Fangio's defense when he was with Denver. Uh, and they look at somebody like AVG and they say, Man, we really like you. You're a smart player, you're 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 a good team player, and we want to figure out a way to get you on the field more. Well, maybe in this inside linebacker room, which is a little light. We'll try you there. If it goes well, then sure. If not, we can throw you back as a rotational edge player and, you know, see what you can give us there. Yeah, and I think he can do a little bit. He's not the best in pass coverage, but I think he had I had it written down, 14 or 16 pass breakups. We've seen him get some interceptions. I mean, he can drop back in coverage too. So, um, yeah, I think it should be an easy tra- – shouldn't be easy, but you know what I mean. It should be a solid transition there. And um, to the point, I mean, one of the reasons he shouldn't be needed on the edge is because we're getting Emmanuel Agba back, right? And I know that was a guy that um, I know that I want to talk about a little bit. I know I think Jake brought his name up, but um, he's healthy this year. We all remember, I know Jake and I talked about him, you know, until we were blue in the face about how important he was that defense, how the Dolphins needed him back. And now you sit here and look at this roster and you're like, okay, well, where's Emmanuel Agba fit in? I mean, he has talked about being able to play a little bit inside. So there's versatility there, but I think Emmanuel Agba has a chance to see more reps and to be, um, you know, he said it himself. He didn't really get to see what he could do with Jalen Phillips out there with uh, Bradley Chubb last year. Getting him back up front there with Christian Wilkins and all the other pieces they have with that secondary, it might cause, you know, absolute nightmares for these opposing quarterbacks. So give me your guys still on Emmanuel Agba. I mean, at one point he was that starter on the Dolphins defensive line. More of a role player now, but he should be able to play inside and outside and um, seems excited, at least for the 2023 season. Can you believe that come June 1st, Emmanuel Agba will be the highest cap hit on the Miami Dolphins for the 2023 season? Does that no, make any sense to you guys? Crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. I knew he was getting a lot, but damn. That's and crazy. rightfully so, though, when you kind of look back at it. In 2020, he had three forced fumbles to go with a career-high nine sacks. He matched that total the following year with nine sacks, just one forced fumble, so he's got to obviously step back up in that category. But this is why you bring in someone like Vic Fangio. This is why you make him the highest-paid defensive coordinator in the league because we shouldn't have to hear that, hey, we just can't get everyone on the field at the same time. You pay him that much to deal with the pieces he has to work with. And Emmanuel Agba is that perfect case study of where is he going to line up? Merrick, where do you see him lining up? What have been your thoughts about him so far this uh, preseason? Yeah, I like Josh's idea of Agba being able to transition 
transition inside if they need another big body on the interior. Emmanuel Ogba, he's a big dude. He's not just tall, but he's wide as well. You know, he's he's uh, more of that classic edge setter, uh, you know, in the edge position. You know, you mentioned he had nine sacks two seasons in a row. Those are good numbers. Those aren't great numbers. Those aren't phenomenal numbers. They were good for the Dolphins at the time, but they brought in more, you know, electric pass rushers when they drafted Jalen Phillips and they traded for Bradley Chubb. So if you can look at Ogba and, and kind of transition him to the middle a little bit, you know, you got some good bodies in uh, the defensive tackle room as well with, with Sealer and Wilkins and Raekwon Davis is, is trying to, you know, round back into form. Uh, so you could see him there. Uh, but I mean, having Mike McDaniel said it himself, having more pre- pass rushers is not a bad thing. You know, having more edge players is not a bad thing. So if that just means he rotates in from time to time because he's got fresh legs and he can get to that quarterback, more power to him. I'm I'm happy Agba is back. I know a lot of people wanted to see him traded this offseason, but that just wasn't going to happen at his salary. Uh, and then, you know, after you trade him, you save a little bit. You're still going to have to pay him a decent amount just to leave and go elsewhere. You're not going to get a great draft pick for him. So why not keep him on the team and see what kind of production he can give you, even if it is in a more limited role? Can you really envision the highest paid player on the Miami Dolphins being a part-timer? Is that's is that true? That's crazy. That's the craziest stat I've ever There's heard. There's one person above life. him right now. There's one person above him right now, but he won't be there much longer. Who break break it down? Byron Jones at number one, and then, oh. it, and then it's Emmanuel Agba at number two. Where's Where's Tyree Kill in this situation? Four, four, I think. Wow, this is wow. Crazy. What 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 a nerd if I'm remembering? <laughs> no, you're you're totally right. I'm on Spot Track, Spot Track, whatever the hell it is called. Don't ask me. Calf hit. Yeah. No, he's he is 17.1 million cap hit. Oh my god. That's it's not crazy. our money, remember. It's not our money. <laughs> Base does salary alone, 15 though, mil. Does that mean he has to play more? Does that mean like maybe Steven Ross is gonna be in an ear saying, Hey, this even if there were initial conversations of hey, he might just be a rotational guy, would someone in that front office who knows they're paying him that much say no? You he's, he's gotta be out there uh, a lot more often. No, I think if you try to tell Vic Fangio anything, he's just going to slap you in the mouth and say, I do what I want. Yeah, (laughs) This is why I bring up the hypothetical, you know, all the way up here in Massachusetts, just because I know he has a little (laughs) sensor that's going off when we talk about him, but his his reach isn't that far. So we have nothing to worry about. Guys, a name I want to talk about, Mike McDaniel, a riser, someone who's trying to get better. During his press conference on Tuesday, Mr. McDaniel mentioned in between Miami Heat games, that one of the biggest things he's worked on this offseason is the preseason penalties. Merrick, how big was the sigh of relief when you heard that? Man, we all love Sounds some like Mike it, McDaniel. Right yeah, we, we love Mike McDaniel last year, right? But he had some, some hiccups. He, he was a rookie head coach. And just like rookie players, you're learning how to do your job on the job. And, you know, our biggest gripes with Mike McDaniel were the pre-snap penalties uh, and the clock management. So if he can fix those two things while remaining an offensive genius, uh, 
I think you're going to see a successful year for the Miami Dolphins, but a successful year for Mike McDaniel and that offensive play calling. And, oh, man, I'm excited. I'm excited. I mean, we were all screaming at our television screens during the, the final drive of the season in that playoff loss to Buffalo. The Dolphins had a chance to go down there and tie that game, maybe even win that game. Um, but, you know, those pre-snap penalties hurt them. Uh, you know, they, they stubbed their toes doing that once again, and it, it contributed to that playoff loss. So if he can clean those things up, I'm going to be real excited. Yeah, music to my ears. I mean, we always hear the coach talk, you know, I got to do better, this, that, and the other thing. But it honestly sounds like Mike McDaniel's, you know, going to practice what he preaches. So like Merrick said, like you both said, I mean, he was absolutely fantastic as a rookie head coach. We knew he was going to have some hiccups being a first-time play caller being the first time head coach of a team, if he can go and correct some of those things, you know, not abandon the run, not waste challenges in critical situations. I mean, at that point, there's nowhere to go but up. So I love to hear this. Um, another thing I love to hear and another guy that I want to talk about, I know we talked about defense for most of this podcast, but um, you guys did your Dolphins detailed. Please check that out. I think you're going to record a live episode after we're done here, right? Um, you guys did your sure. tight end episode, but Tanner Connor, I don't know if you guys saw the picture of him. He's looking absolutely yoked. We know the I Dolphins. Yeah, there was a picture of him going around. I think it was the day you guys were actually recording the tight end one. I was like, these motherfuckers, they're going to talk about Tanner Connor. <laughs> they're going to snipe that one for me. I mean, I he didn't really do much last year, but he was a guy that was transitioning from wide receiver, ran, I think, you know, close to a 4.340, um, transitioning from wide receiver to tight end, you know, like we heard this offseason with uh, Elijah Higgins. Is that his name, right? Elijah yeah. Higgins. <laughs> Dude, oh, my God. You know, it's bad when you almost forget the rookie's name. Um, but, yeah, this is a guy who the Dolphins were really high on last year. We heard a lot of things. I even went back and looked. There was a nice play where he caught a seam pass down the middle from Tua Tungvaloa. So, to see what he can do, you know, with another year transitioning to the tight end position, John Embry said that, you know, he wanted to become – he wanted him to become more of a student of the game and get better at pass protection. So, if he can get that down, looking jacked as he is, still maintaining that speed – he could become the, maybe that seam threat that the Dolphins need at the tight end position. Uh, but right now, it seems like that's Durham Smythe's job to lose. What about you guys? What do you think of that tight end room and Tanner Connor? I'll you tell you what. The tight end room in general, I could see any one of these guys jumping up this depth chart and surpassing Durham Smythe for that starting role. I mean, Eric Saubert, uh, Tyler Croft. Both of those guys excel at blocking. You had mentioned this, Jake, when we recorded our tight end episode on Dolphins Detail. Check that out on YouTube. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Give us a like. Leave a comment. It helps with the algorithm. I think – I don't even know what the word you algorithm means, but <laughs> – but I've heard other people say it, so there you go. But but Eric Saubert, Tyler Croft, they're phenomenal. I, okay, maybe I'm overselling it a little bit. They're real solid blocking tight ends. And in this Shanahan slash Mike McDaniel offense, you need tight ends who can block. Durham Smythe is kind of a middle-of-the-road blocker. Not the worst, not the best. I would venture to say that Saubert and Croft are actually both better blockers than Durham Smythe is, despite the fact that uh, I believe it was Tyler Croft who – gave up the pressure to Hassan Reddick that injured Brock Purdy in the playoff game uh, that had Christian McCaffrey warming up his arm uh, like he did in that old play 60 commercial when he was a small little boy and he was going to replace Cam Newton as the starting quarterback of the Panthers. But uh, anyways, you know, with those guys being able to block their asses off, you could see Mike McDaniel value that in this offense more so than the pass catching skills of a Durham Smythe because he is the most accomplished pass catcher of the, the tight ends currently on the roster. 
But what did that mean for us last year in Mike Kosicki? Didn't really mean jack shit. So if yeah, you know, but on what thirty catches, fifty targets? That's mean twenty balls are, are hitting the ground there. But regardless, Tyler Croft and Eric Sauber, their blocking skills, they're essentially just better blockers than than Durham Smythe, and that could lead them to uh, surpass Smythe on the depth chart. I know you're a big fan of both those guys, Jake. That tight end pie is just sitting there waiting for someone to go gobble it up because I think this is a situation that's just so wide open. Uh, People forget Durham Smythe. He actually led the Dolphins last year in sacks allowed. He was tied with uh, someone. I'm going to assume Eichenberg or someone, but it was at three. I know he was tied with someone at three. And Josh, you kind of hit the nail on the head with the seam fit because I don't think we realize this and it's real interesting to talk about. The Dolphins lost over 100 targets in free agency. Trent Sherfield had over, over 50. Mike Kosicki had over 50. I don't think a single guy is going to replace a 50-burger like those, let alone it be like a Tanner Connor. But just as that seam threat where you can give him 20 opportunities, Merrick, you made a great point where there were 20 balls that dropped on the ground. If you can get that to, you know, if, if 10 of the... 25 attempts dropped to the ground and you're not paying him as a franchise tag receiver. I think the tone around that slot seam threat is going to feel a lot different. And Josh, I love the idea that Tanner Connor can be that guy just for the fact he has an experience playing receiver. It's actually his second year in the offense. And we saw last year with River Craycraft, Trent Shurfield. Those were the guys on the sidelines coaching up the Jalen Waddles. I don't know if Tyree Kill will ever need to be coached up, but just kind of teaching the guys about the offense. And I think that could be a, such a huge role this year. Um, I don't think he has a shot when it comes to being an inline tight end and being that blocker. But in terms of that, that wild card threat that you see him on the field and all eyes just kind of go in a different direction, making sure he's not going to be the one to beat you. Yeah, man, I'm sold. Yeah. I think the name they actually used was Cameron Brait as that's who they, uh, he reminded him of. And Chris Greer this off season said, we feel he has good upside, but with all that said, they pretty much brought in another version of Tanner Connor, right? With Elijah Higgins, a wide receiver, they're trying to transition to tight end. So we'll see how that entire room unfolds. Uh, what other names you guys got for me? I want to talk about Isaiah Wynn. Isaiah Wynn was not on this team last year, so it's kind of hard to see him rise up the depth chart. Um, I don't know where he's listed currently, but I could see Isaiah Wynn taking over one of those starting jobs, either left guard or right tackle from Liam Eichenberg or Austin Jackson. He's not being paid a small amount. He's brought in for $2.3 million. That's only slightly less than Austin Jackson is making in the last year of his rookie deal as a former first round pick. Isaiah Wynn, not the biggest dude out there. So a lot of people would say that, you know, he fits best as a guard, but his best film is actually at the left tackle position. So even if he's just brought in to be the backup to Teron, Teron Armstead, that actually means he's going to be the starting left tackle for a handful of games this season. Cause Teron Armstead ain't playing all 17, you Too know, soon. as much as, as much as we wish that he would, he's not going to. So at some point, Isaiah Wynn's going to be a starter on this offensive line, whether that's at left tackle, left guard or right tackle. It's kind of weird and, and a little annoying. Like, we can sit here and talk about Andrew Van Ginkle moving inside, Trill Williams going to safety, but God forbid anybody mention a, a spot on the offensive line. Where, where is the line here that we can talk about guys switching positions but not here? Do you, Josh, think that that transition to left guard is, is kind of set in stone for someone like Isaiah Wynn? Because I kind of love the idea, um, you know, throwing a cliche meme about being able to sleep at night. I mean, Isaiah Wynn is your sixth lineman. Uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of sold on that. I'd be pretty cool with that and trying instead of trying to you know force feed that that guard position. 
Yeah, I mean, I think um, it, the best five are going to play, right? Isn't that what Mike McDaniel always tries to say? But I would love for him to be that sixth guy, the guy that can fill in there at left tackle, could potentially play guard, you know, maybe even wins out that right tackle job. Um, I think it was Greg Bedard. I forget who he writes for. I'm uh, SI? Boston, Boston Sports Journal. I just looked it up. But either way, um, he responded to somebody about Isaiah Wynn and said, you know, it isn't about his talent. It's about whether, you know, whether he gives a crap. So um, I guess he had a bad attitude there in New England a little bit, but um, his worst tape, Merrick says best tape was a left tackle. I think his worst tape was at right tackle. So I agree. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure what to, goes with that. And then um, I know we all saw the picture of Austin Jackson. Dolphins Twitter was absolutely moist about him looking like he's in shape for once. And, you know, playing emoji, huh? Yeah. Getting hoodwinked by that. So I tried to temper my expectations there. I want to see him, you know, perform on the field. But if you can have Isaiah Wynn start at left guard, you know, perhaps, I mean, he has to be better than I'd imagine Liam Eikenberg looked over the last few seasons. So uh, I like the signing. I know a lot of people are upset about Cameron Fleming not being the guy they brought in, but I think Isaiah Wynn might work out. And uh, as long as he seems happy to be here, and I know there was a picture floating around of him cheesing in front of the camera. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm here for it. One name I want to throw out there that we did not talk about. I think I'm going to jip Jake, but Devon A-Chain. Can we talk about him? Can we gush about oh, him a yes. little bit? I mean, been two oh, weeks yes. at practice. It sounds like he's catching passes. Uh Jeff Wilson Jr. was talking about his speed. He's, he compares himself to Christian McCaffrey, says he wants to race Waddle Hill and Mostert. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on this guy? Because we waited so long for that rookie back. We waited so long for that fantasy, you know, gem, and um, he's getting sniped in every damn rookie league I'm in. So um, what are your thoughts? I think he's going to wear, be wearing the orange jersey next time they show up to practice. Ooh, Merrick, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I would love that. I, I got more hyped with the A-chain pick, the, you know, a day or two after the draft. At first, I was like, oh, what are we doing here? We need offensive linemen. We need tight ends. And now I'm like, oh, wait, what? Uh, he thinks he's Christian McCaffrey. Let's go. I like that. And he has been lining up at receiver. If you see some of these pictures, man, he's in a he's in a receiver stance. And there's been a couple of reports out there from the first couple of days of OTAs that he is out there making plays left and right, whether that's on the ground or through the air. Uh, and, and I like that. I like that a lot. So absolutely. You could see him climbing that depth chart based on talent alone. But then, you know, you got a couple of injury prone guys ahead of him in Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert as well. So uh, as the season progresses, I do expect a lot more from a chain than, than maybe those first couple games where he, he gets five, five, six touches, something like that. They keep they keep teasing Dalvin Cook too. I don't know if you guys saw Nick Hicks, but he almost seems like he's that's certain crazy. that this dude's coming to Miami on June first. So that's I mean, that's the, wild. It's just crazy. I think you know Devon H. And if he's showing out in practice, you know, impressing everybody, they're going to now you know trade or sign Dalvin Cook to come in and take some of those touches away. But maybe they are going to have him out there at receiver more. And then I, how do you, how do you defend that? How if you're a defense, how how the hell do you stop that? That's so much to digest because just still the the signing Delvin Cook just sounds so unreasonable. No matter the price at this point, the just spending money you brought back your entire it's a kid playing that in ultimate team with his mom's credit card, right? You just oh go online and just want all the best players on your roster. That discover bill is horrifying after signing <laughs> Delvin Cook. But how, how do you make that work? How do you make a 53 man roster when you have to keep five running backs all of a sudden. And then I don't think Alec Ingold's going anywhere too. How on earth do you make that work is, and like, you could think maybe one of them could line up as like a fullback role and, and maybe some fullback opportunities. None of these guys are thunder. It's all lightning in this Miami Dolphins depth chart. I just don't know if you can make it work. Like I know Nick, Nick Hicks is connected and, and, you know, he trains Dalvin cook. I just I think it's more so Dalvin Cook really wants to be in Miami because he's from Miami. 
I don't think you're going to see Dalvin Cook in a Dolphins uniform as much as that sounded like a, an exciting proposition before the draft. But now after the draft and hearing how well <laughs> – this is classic Dolphins fan overreaction – but hearing how well Devon A-Chain has been performing at the first two days of voluntary yeah. OTAs, I don't want Dalvin Cook. Keep him in Minnesota. We don't need him. We got Devon A-Chain, baby. Super Bowl bound. As we wrap up here, I do want to share kind of a, a funny, funny uh, development that is happening up near me up in uh, New Jersey. Uh, Diana Rossini, ESPN's uh, beat writer, she does a lot of the New York teams, has been at Jets camp. And guys, I saw a quote that just made me laugh so hard. Uh, you know, there are different guys inside the Jets organization talking about how we're following Aaron Rodgers' lead and uh, we're focusing on the little details. And, and the big picture comment of why they're trusting Aaron Rodgers is they're saying they, they've been successful. Everything Rodgers is telling them is working. So we can sit here and say, you know, Devon A-Chain looks great. It's the middle of training camp. But this entire team, this entire New York team is treating him like that mother duck. And they're all just waddling behind him, hoping this works as, you know, pray to God you're not running right into traffic. But it's just so funny to me to hear that we trust him because we've been successful so far. And it's May 24th. Well, maybe they can follow him directly to the trainer's room because didn't he strain his calf at practice yesterday? After a scramble touchdown that they celebrated so much. Listen, I, it's I turn 37 next month. Aaron Rodgers is a year older than I am, a year and some change older than me. Man, when you get this old, things hurt. You can't, like, turn your head too quickly or you're going to end up in the ice tub for the next two weeks. Like, Aaron Rodgers is – if he's getting hurt and straining his calf on day two of OTAs, then it's going to be a long year for that old man. Speaking of traders, have you guys seen, I think Ty Johnson, I think he was cut by the jets, but he was complaining about their coaching staff, you know, making him go out there and grit it out. And I think Micah Be Becton, Mikai Becton, did I say that right? Sure. It, it, either way, the Dolphins should need to trade for Becton, but they're saying about how, you know, that trading staff's a little bit, um, you know, suspect yeah very very suspect and another thing that i think is hilarious is we sit here and we you know gush over training camp videos but some of those videos that the jets fans are going nuts about i mean there was one with aaron Rodgers, you know making uh two pump fakes making no one miss and just running into the end zone for like a two-yard run there was that <laughs> on seven on seven <laughs> yeah there was that slow-mo slant that was like thrown behind garrett wilson hit him in the shoulder that they were just going crazy about i mean if that was to a talk about loa it'd be on every you know espn sports center everything about how you know inaccurate and this that and the other thing so maybe we are allowed to gush over devon a chain after only two days of otas yeah guys is I th I think is, is two a fat because the internet would lead me to believe that Tua is now fat. Thick. Yeah, I, I, th I think it's more like if like you you stretched a person and then scrunched them back down and then they, <laughs> yeah they they kind of bulk up a little bit. That's what I'd go. Tua with. Oh my god! So first Tua comes into the league and he's too small. That's why he's injury prone. And yeah, sure enough, he he suffers a couple injuries and then some concussions last year. So this year he works on the the jujitsu so he doesn't suffer the concussions he bulks up a little bit so he can absorb some of those shots that he might take behind this porous offensive line and now it's oh two is too fat he can't survive in this league he's gonna eat himself out of the league come on grow up to marcus russell is that what they're, they're saying he is she's a russell yeah oh man i shouldn't even have brought that dude in. dude he does kind of remind you please... russell wilson the way he used to look right i mean can you can you please uh what, what are we gonna ask 
Don't can make you, me Photoshop quote... him on Jamarcus Russell. No, 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 I was just saying, can you just quote oh, tweet someone up. posting a picture of that, of like Tua looking like that and just put uh, Tua Russell, or yeah, actually do uh, Jamarcus Tungavaloa. If you did that and just watched the internet freaking blow up. <laughs> they would kill me. They would absolutely kill me. That's May 24th for you. That is it. That's all we have in the chamber. Thank you all so much for joining us. Thank you so much for tuning into another Dolphins podcast. If you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button. It helps others find the show, and it helps us get followers. It's a win-win for everyone. But until next time, thank you for tuning in. And most importantly, fins up. Fins up. Fins up. The greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air. We're on the ground. We're always in control. And when you say Miami... You're talking Super Bowl because we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins.